what to do. started the series by encouraging our faith in these very troubling times. We have troubling times right now. And um, and we, l- we just listed a few things last week that, that we, we are we're struggling with in our society. Um, the normalization of sexual morality, homosexuality, false kinds of perversion, a desire for abortion that we've never seen before through trauma, an increased lawlessness constantly, the end of the family, Right, the gender mutilation of kids for uh, just transitioning demonic practices, and that's what they are. Don't 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 let the world don't let the world define for you. It's it's demonic, totally demonic. Um, but but a society would do that to kids is just un- unheard of. Um, false prophets and uh, mental health issues all over the map. The collapse of the stock market, financial system. There's so much happening. The foundations of our world are being shaken. So I want, I want us to really, I want to encourage us, because I do think that this is just going to continue to spiral out of control, and, you know, we're going to just have to make adjustments as we go along. Amen? We, we've, we've lived a wonderful 200 years of kind of peace, and, but it just seems everything's changed, and um, the foundations of our society are being shaken. And so let's go to Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 25, 29. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, much less will we escape. So our generation has a greater accountability because we are on this side of the cross. Jesus, the gospel has been preached. And, and right, Jesus himself said, woe to, to you, right, to that generation. Sodom and Gomorrah will stand up on the day of judgment and condemn the, the generation because, they, because someone greater than Jonah was there, right? Much less we, we shall escape if we reject him who warns them. But at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised us once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. What God is shaking, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence, reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Jesus himself said that in the last days, Men's hearts shall fail them, fail them for fear. Look at, look at Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and earth, and in, on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of heaven will be shaken. So we, we, have, we hear these same idea that these things are shaken. There's a reason why our world is falling apart. But those reasons are found not in news, not in CNN, not even in Fox News, right? Um, they're found in the scriptures. So we need to really see the world through the lens of what God is doing, right? And so uh, while people, now to encourage our hearts, while people's hearts are failing for fear, right? Look what God's people are doing. Look at verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, 
waking up will raise your head because your redemption is waking up. There ought to be, and I, I do believe that this is going to happen among his people, among his elect, that as these things begin to take place, there's going to be a straightening up, raising your head. This idea, um, the idea of the being bowed down, to lift or raise oneself up from a standing posture. God's going to do something. So we, we, can be com- we can be comforted that the Lord it has not, is not going to abandon his people in this administration. So how can we as believers raise our heads in these times? Is your head bowed down? And sometimes we can hear the news and, and we can see the things in our own lives and, and we can feel that our, our, our hearts being bowed down. How many feel the pressure of life, right? You know, how can we as believers raise our heads when they begin to happen? I love that phrase, when they begin to happen, not, not when at the end they happen. But at the very beginning, there ought to be something that of faith that really rises up in light of the truth of God's word. So how can we do that? How can, what are the believers' foundations in this troubled world? We asked that question last week. How can we, how can we stand? And we, I said that there are at least there's two foundations. We started with one last week, and this is just review from last week. Um, there are two, two foundations that we need to have if we're going to stand in troubling times, if you're going to stand, if, if, if something terrible happens to you tomorrow or this week, if something terrible happens to our world tomorrow or this week, you know, wh- how can we stand? And, and there's a couple of things that I believe that the Lord wants us to, to just know in our heart and, and be certain and apply them and work them out in our lives so that we may not be shaken, so that, but that we may raise, lift up our heads and, and know that our redemption is drawing near. First of all, all things, you got to know this, all things that take place in the world and in our lives are ordained by God. That's the first thing. That's a, that's a mouthful. That's saying a lot. That is a view of the world that is not common, not even in the church, right? Not even the, the church doesn't really see it so much like that. This is, this is a, but the Bible clearly depicts a God who is absolutely sovereign. He's a micromanager. <laughs> he, he micromanages everything. He's, he's involved, right? And so, so that's something that we have to lay hold of God, you know, that God wants to reveal himself to us as the God who ordains everything. Lamentations 3, 7, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded. That's an absolute statement. No one Nothing has ever come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. All right, so that's, that's very comforting. In fact, I can make the argument that if you don't hold to this truth, you really have no hope. If you deny God's control, sovereignty, I can ask you a series of questions, and at the end of the day, That's a bedrock for the believer. And this includes good things and bad things. That this is where people get a little tripped up on, on understanding this. Lamentations 3.38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High? And the idea of commanding, you know, the idea of speaking forth. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Right? So you got to wrestle with that. 
if you don't wrestle with these things, you just accept that you haven't really received it. These things are very troubling aspects. These things are not easy to understand. It's easy to look at this from a distance. It's a different thing when bad thing happens to you, and now you got to look at the bad thing in light of that thing, and people say, no, I refuse to believe it, right? So it, it, it's easy to preach about what I'm saying. But I believe that th this is true. Is it not from the mouth of the good and bad things, right? Isaiah 45, 7, I form life, and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And I showed you last week that th that word does is the same word that was used in Genesis. He made the foundation. Right? He made, it's not something that he just thought about, suggested, but he actually was actively involved in that. All right? I, Amos 3.6, Amos 3.6, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? So these are, these are true. Hopefully some of you have already been uh, disciplining these truths and re rejoicing them. But some of you, this might be the first time you hear this. What I suggest is just keep reading the scriptures. And, but, but I do believe that in our troubling world, we need, to, we need to lay hold of this. Now, this does not negate man's responsibility. God is going to judge man for what he does. Right? So the, we uphold both. God holds man accountable, and yet God ordains all things. So we, 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 we do not negate, we do not negate man's, man's responsibility. So, but this is a, a great comfort, and God controls and ordains even the greatest acts of injustice in our world. All the stuff that we're seeing, they're not spiraling out of control from God. God sees it. Now, I can respond emotionally, and I oftentimes do. I can say, I can handle this. Sometimes I get angry. But after I get angry, I realize, wait a minute, Lord, you have me before you. You are in control. Lord, you are in control. And it happens by some purpose you have. So today I want to consider, I wanna, today I want to just consider this truth of God's sovereignty over all things in the context of the great acts of injustice in the world. Because, you know, what, what good is a theory unless it gets tested? Right? You gotta test the theory. I can I can say what I'm saying, but you gotta test it. And we're gonna consider the great acts of injustice. Right? Great. How many? Uh, is there a lot of injustice in the world? A lot of injustice in the world. Um, and so it's only fair that we test this theory, this biblical truth, in the light of despicable acts of injustice. Right? And we'll see how. God endures it. So the truth of God's sovereignty can be applied to the greatest acts of injustice, right? Right? It's not, yeah, I haven't gone there. It, it, the truth of God can be applied um, to, right, to the greatest acts, then surely we have a foundation, we have a foundation to stand on for the injustices in our own lives, right? So, so you know, you, you go from the greater to the lesser. So we look at the most despicable acts of injustice. And if we can see God there, it gives us some comfort to know, well, then in the, in the injustice that I go through, then it's, it's safe to assume God is there. Amen? That makes sense? So, so, so we don't have to, like, look at necessarily every single act of injustice. 
but we need to we need to look at some of the great prophets, right? We need to look at uh, so that we can learn how to face this. So does God ordain the greatest act of injustice in the world? And our world is going to be full of injustice. We are going to be baptized in un- injustice. That's what the Bible clearly teaches, that there is going to be a rise of iniquity and lawlessness and all kinds of wickedness. There's going to be a rise of injustice. Do you have biblical footing to, to confront that? Right? So the question that now, um, the question that we want to ask is very simple. I want to go from the greatest to the, to the smallest. Something I often do is I go, well, Lord, what is the greatest act of injustice in the history of the world? I want to, I usually, I try to, I try to, um, I try to like um, work from there. I think that's healthy because there's too many applications of injustice. I'd rather go to the most unjust act and I could work from there, right? Because then if I, could, if, I can, if I can actually come up with some form that can tell me this is the greatest act of injustice, I can work from there. I don't need to look at every single application of injustice because there are many of them, right? So that's one thing that you should know that's a very helpful in Bible study. Go to the most absolute reality of something and then see how it's different and apply to that. So, of course, you, the first question that you should ask is, can injustice be measured? Can we measure acts of injustice? How, how, what metric, what variable would you use to measure injustice? So that's the first question. You have to come up with a formula. You have to come up with some reasonable categories that help us to define, well, Let's understand what injustice is. And then, you know, are there degrees of injustice? I'm going to say, yes, there's degrees of injustice. So, you know, what's the the common variable that most people use with injustice? Well, I would say quantity would be a variable. So when when you read the history of the world, when you read the great acts of injustice in the history of the world, Who's typically in those books? Anybody know? Let's, let's be a history. Tiffany likes to say. Yeah? Hitler, right? So, guys, so it, uh, why Hitler? Because under the regime of Hitler, estimated 50 million people died. Right? So, quantity. So, Hitler, um, typically, in the great acts of injustice of the world, we... Um, it, it's very common, if anybody knows any world history, they normally Hitler will be in that conversation. And the reason he's in that conversation is because of quantity. Would Hitler be in that conversation if he only killed 10 people? No. Why not? There's something to do with quantity. Number of people affected. That's already giving us, that's already giving us something. Well, who else, who else would be in that conversation? You got Hitler. Who, el- who else would, um, would be in that conversation? Stalin. Somebody say Stalin? Stalin, yeah. How many people died under Stalin? Anyone know? Like, I think they were estimated about 20 million people died under Stalin. Right? So we, um, 
what's another one that you can argue is a grace? As long as that, and I think I'm, yep, I think he's a little less than um, than scholars. But there's one that morphs quickly. Huh? <laughs> Don't say to the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But there's one, there's an event in our world history that by far outnumbers Hitler. Think of quantity. Something that has happened in the world that has affected more than 50 million people. <laughs> Abortion. babies have been born. Do you know how many babies have been aborted in the last 50 years according to some reports? How many? Anyone has an idea? Whoever these reports are, people just they look it up. 1.5 billion babies aborted just in the last 50 years. Is that crazy? That is the greatest holocaust by here if you had an abortion, right? It, it, you, God forbid you, right? Don't, 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 don't ever let the devil condemn you. Okay? Praise God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Be forgiven. Don't be angry. Okay? It's in the blood. But we should repent. We should turn to the Lord and say, okay? And if you've done that, you've got nothing to feel guilty billion babies. In fact, world, just annually, there are more babies aborted than Hitler killed under his rule. 73 million babies aborted just in the last 50 years. Now, if you know your Bible, that's why people say, like, oh, the blood. If you know your Bible, what did God say not to do? Anyone know what God said not to do to others? Have life? Or die? Ruth chapter 6, verse 1. You get it? A life is the covenant Noah still in effect. Some of the, the only people who escape all that are those who come into, into the new covenant of Jesus Christ. But the, the curse and all that, that's still very much in effect. <laughs> very much. The only way to escape it is in Christ. The only way. In Noah, God tells Noah, a life for a life. What does that tell you about the future of the world? Not good. God is going to be punished. 1.5 million babies, 1.5 million people. Life is a choice. The judgments of God are going to come. Now, now does it make sense why in Revelation it says two-thirds of the population, one-third of, you, 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 hear the, you, you read that in the book of Revelation, you're like, whoa, 
One-third of the population is wiped out. Another one-third is wiped out, right? Well, what's all that coming from? Is it just God having a bad day? <laughs> God having a bad day? No. He's reconciling the books. So, so abortion is such a sad thing. But, folks, is that the greatest? Is that the greatest? What is the, how can we, how can we uh, measure the greatest act of injustice? And let me tell you that none of us satisfy the conditions of the greatest act of justice is abortion. Not even a close second. The greatest act of injustice by, by far is what? This is, some of you might say, well, more than 73 million babies a year? Yes. And there's, there's, there's quantifiable reason. There, there, is, there is reason to believe that. But you just have to figure out what makes something unjust. Right? The greatest act of injustice in the history of the world is not Stalin. It's not Hitler. It's not the abortion. Those things are great acts of injustice. Absolutely. But the greatest act of injustice that the world has ever known is the betrayal and the murder of the Son of God. Now, you have to take that on faith because 50 million sounds more, 23 million, 20 million. We, we, we respond to, uh, right, to these numbers as if no, that's impossible. But um, there's, you know, and I could go on on the whole series, but I'm just trying to describe and define what I use, and I believe that this is But I'm not, I, I don't have time. But let me just say that injustice can be measured, right, by the degree of the relationship. The degree of goodness and kindness that is shown. The degree of the violation of that relationship. The degree of innocence. So there are these variables that we're going to look at. Right, so let's just get right into it. Jesus is going to set Jesus' betrayal and death will satisfy, will climax these variables. The injustice in the death of Jesus will climax these things more than abortion, more than Stalin's murder, more than more than Hitler's murder. First of all, Jesus was absolutely righteous, innocent. All right, so look at, look at Luke 23, 47. Now when the centurion saw that what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Now that's a profound statement, right? Profound statement. This man was innocent. Now the word there for innocent is the same word that we use for righteous. This man was righteous. Okay, so here we go. Right off the bat, you've got a variable here that sets Jesus apart. He is absolutely, perfectly righteous. Now that word, um, that word there, innocent, right? It means um, uh, being right, but not just being right in an only in an inward way. It's right in every possible way. 
inwardly and outwardly. Jesus was righteous. He, he, he conformed inwardly and outwardly perfectly to the laws of God, to, the, right, to all that God had commanded. Jesus was a perfectly righteous man. Now, the word righteousness, and some of you may know this, in the Bible, it places more emphasis on outward acts of kindness and mercy. Right? So when you study righteousness, we tend to think more inwardly. The Bible puts more of an axis of a, a righteous man does good things. A righteous man loves the poor. A righteous man gives freely. Like his righteousness endures forever, the psalmist says. So the idea that you can't just think like just he was just a nice man and he, he didn't do a lot of things. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. No, righteousness has more to do with what you do. You, you do such stuff. You love your neighbor. You give yourself freely. So when we think of righteousness, don't just think of someone who's nice to you. It's more than that. It's a person who prays a lot, but because he prays a lot, he loves his neighbor. He's constantly giving himself for the good of others. Jesus was righteous. Jesus lived a life of consistent mercy and kindness to others. Look at Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing what? Doing good. He was righteous. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. How many did he heal? All. For God was with him. Jesus never failed to act righteously, not even for a moment. Right? That, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible in light of my family, in light of my, my sins and a lot of, I mean, I am just in awe of Jesus Christ. That he can live this perfectly righteous life. He never had a moment for himself. Are you kidding me? He was constantly doing the will of his father. Not my will, but thine. Always his rest came at the will of God, not when he wanted to. He ate when it pleased God the Father, not when he wanted to. That, that's stunning to me. He served, not at his own will, but at the will of his Father. He was always on the clock, on call, all the time. Not Tuesdays and Thursdays, not once a month, right? On call the whole time. Completely surrendered, wholly, perfectly to the will of God. How many of you live like that? Thank you. I don't. I need time for myself too, <laughs> right? I stand in awe of Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, how, how in the world did you do this? I, as we read this morning in Psalm 6, he anguished perfectly. He took it all upon, right, lived perfectly, right? We see the cross, but boy, we don't give Jesus enough credit. He lived a perfect life, not just died a perfect death. Righteous. He was, this man was innocent, the centurion said. This man was righteous. It is Jesus' perfect righteousness that will aggravate and intensify. 
against you. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. It is Jesus' perfect righteousness that will, it's going to aggravate. It's going to make the act of injustice so much worse. Right? I mean, we're not done. We're, we're, I mean, I'll start today and next week again, next week. Right? So we're going to talk about four things that truly, deeply set Jesus apart so that in his act of injustice, the act against him, there's nothing else. There's just none else. This is like flying by the seat of your pants. But it starts with his perfection. He's perfect. Do you think that that matters? When you measure the act of injustice, a person righteous standing before God, uh, yes, it does. Because at the end of the day, injustice is not just a general concept. God defines justice, right? He defines the terms. And Jesus, Jesus is going to live perfectly. The act of injustice against him is an act of injustice against one who is perfectly upheld the laws of God. All in every sense by like literally giving himself perfectly in every moment of his life. Look at Acts 7.52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of whom? Who? The righteous one. Whom you have now what? Betrayed you got a problem. That right there is the greatest act of injustice from God's point of view, right? From God's point of view, not, not from you. You and I are sentimental. Oh, but you know, maybe, right? And we could be sentimental. Well, God, God is measuring things differently. And he's going to, right? And what Jesus is going to suffer is a great act of injustice. Because you no matter... How much injustice has been done in the world? None of that injustice can measure up to this injustice, to the righteous one of God. And why is that? Why is that? Because there is none righteous. Look at Romans 3, 10 through 12. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says it very clearly, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. So right off the bat, you have a moral deficit. Does that make sense? Right off the bat. You and I, as much as people can, we can experience acts of injustice, but the, tr- the reality is, let's be very, very honest, that those acts of injustice are done to me who already has a moral deficit. Does that make sense? A person who's not righteous. Oh, I can't believe they did that to me, right? And that might be the case. But the reality is, don't forget, there's none righteous. Right? Th- th- that's the call to the believer, seek forgiveness. Right? Because he who is without sin, let him, throw the, let him cast the first stone. Right? We, no matter what happens in the world, every, li- every million, the 1.5 billion babies that were aborted, are birthed with a moral deficiency. We are conceived in sin. Right? No man is innocent until Christ comes. Does that make sense? 
raises the level of sin. You can't compare an injustice done to me, a flawed, sinful man, and the injustice of the perfect son of God. No comparison. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I hope that you can begin to see the greatest injustice in the history of murders and abortions in this country. I'm going to end with a hand clap. I want to talk about three things. I want to look at the betrayal of Jesus. I want to talk about betrayal. How does betrayal function in the concept and context of going to say that betrayal is a necessary component in justice. The fact that Jesus was betrayed is not an accident because he's fulfilling, climaxing the act of injustice in himself. The act of injustice against him is being climaxed by being condemned and jailed. And betrayal is a very unique experience. Betrayal is not just something bad happens. Betrayal is where there are things that need to be in place in order for betrayal to be, to, for that situation to be defined as betrayal. And I want to see that next week. I'm going to show you that the betrayal, Jesus went through betrayal to get to that place. And I'm, I'm going to take you in a little bit. I want to just try to finish this. We'll continue next week. And then we're saying all of this. We're laying some groundwork because we're trying to put together a case for the worst possible act of injustice. And then we're going to ask the question, once we define the worst possible act of injustice, the question, next question is, how should God ordain justice? Okay? So we're going to take time to present my case. I'm going to hopefully, I convince you, hopefully some of you, that you get the greatest act of injustice is the murder and betrayal of Jesus. There's nothing worse that ever happened under the sun. If that's something that you haven't rehearsed in your mind, I, w- I would encourage you to consider the death of Jesus Christ and to, and to see what he suffered. And then we're going to ask the question, did God ordain justice? And if God didn't ordain it, then what was that for? <laughs> But if God did, and we can prove it scripturally that God did ordain it, man, we have a lot of hope. Amen? That the things that you're going through in your life, and maybe you're fighting, or maybe you're wrestling, or maybe you're trying to get someone, right? Um, Maybe, just maybe, God has justice for you. Amen? So let's, we'll we'll continue next week. I want to sing a song before we leave. All hail King Jesus. Let's sing, All Hail King Jesus.